This episode of the A-List Podcast is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Welcome to another edition of the A-List Podcast. I'm your host, Ashra Blakely, with Kwani A. Lunas, and our resident expert on anything and everything, and also nothing at the same time, Gary Washburn. <laughs> What's up, G? That's, that's funny, Kwani. That's no, funny. it's just a, it's an interesting intro. Yeah. See, Courtney, when you laugh like that, that's like you laughing at your uncle. Your uncle thinking, "Oh, you laughing now? Uh huh." Wait, funny. you wait. You just wait. I'm gonna get you later. I'm gonna yeah. get you later. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but we don't want any beef on on the podcast. We got there's enough beef out there, and and really, when you talk about beef, you get, talk about beef, and I talk about Jason Tatum. Kendrick Perkins, who would have known that those two would would have some some Twitter beef at that? Uh, we're gonna jump. We're gonna dive right into that now. Again, this was something that I marinated a few games ago, and Jason Tatum addressed it most recently. Actually, our good friend Gary Washburn was asking the question. Let's take a hear that sound. Jalen also said you and him talked after the New York loss, and just kind of cleared everything out. Not to, you know, I don't know what you got to, to clear, but just kind of. Got some things straight. How was that conversation? It was good. Uh, I mean, obviously, we live in a world where, you know, we on our phones and on TV and, you know, we see all the things about we can't play together and, you know, everybody in the media is saying that, you know, one of us got to go. And, you know, we just had to talk about, you know, we both want to be here and we both want to figure it out uh, because um, it's, it's, it's not many players in a league, you know, like JB, you know, um, the, the grass ain't always greener. And we've had some great stretches. And, you know, I think just this year is, hasn't been what we um, expected, but I think is I think in the long run it'd be good for us. You know, we got to figure some things out. But I think the most important thing is we both want, uh, we both want it extremely bad. And, um, we want to try to figure it out together. And so for us to just be on the same page, I think um, is extremely important because knowing that, you know, we got each other back and, you know, we're going to give it all we got to try to figure this out, um, you know, regardless of, you know, what people may say. Interesting. I heard my name. I heard my name. I, that there's so much to unpack with what Jalen said, but Gary, you were the one that asked the question. I'm just curious, what, what were your thoughts when you listened to JT respond to obviously a question that a lot of us were having towards JT? And this was the first opportunity he had a chance to address that since that, that Perkins tweet post came after Jalen Brown's triple-double. I thought it was interesting because J Jason doesn't tweet much. He's not a big – he's a big social media guy when it comes to his son or posting photos but personal stuff or just like clapping back at people, he really doesn't do that much. Um, I know he did one in the uh, at, in Japan supporting Simone Biles, a gymnast. That was like kind of out of the blue. Like Jason's a thinker. Like Jason doesn't come across as a dude who's like, a, you know, a super, you know, astute guy in terms of just like off the floor. But Jason's a thinker, and he, if he has something to say, he'll say it. So I thought it was interesting that he even responded because there's a lot of things that people that say things about him and Jalen on Twitter. And I think he kind of felt like, why you got to push me back or why you got to diss me? Or, you know, I, he went six for 14. Jason wasn't terrible that night. You know, he didn't take a lot of shots. Uh, he was okay. He was, he was solid. He had a solid game, not a great game. 
It was Jalen's night. And it's like, well, you know, and I can understand maybe if he went two for 20, but he went six for 14. Um, you know, the Celtics didn't really need him to score a lot. They won the game by 24 points. Um, so if I'm, you know, Jason, I'm sure it bothered him a little bit. Like, wow, why you got to put me down um, to gas uh, Jalen? And it's always kind of, I'm sure, the perception that people are pitting them together or against each other. Do they do they get along? And I've written for years, they get along. They're fine. They're good. They're different cats. Like, I think what we do is, especially uh, when you, you know, when you're in the over 30 and in your 40s, you assume, and I'm sure Kawani feels this, that all people in all those cats and gals in their 20s are all alike. They all love Drake. They all love social media. They like it's like they're the same people. They just spit them out. Like they're different. These guys are different. There's 20, you know, year olds that that are very into what we think and are very stereotypical. You know, the Generation Zers or whatever you call it now. Millennials. Uh, huh? Millennials. Millennials. Yeah. Damn people. Millennials. I thought <laughs> I thought millennials were a little older than that. I thought these were gener- Generation Eighty-six to ninety-three, I think. Okay, then but 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 Brown and Tatum are younger than that, but I think we tend to assume that they're all alike and they all like the same music and they all go to the same places and they all and and they're not. Jason's a father, you know. Jalen's a guy who is about his family in terms of his and, and also traveling the world and things like that. They're different cats, so but I do do they do get along. And I think that what bothers them the most is when people, they perceive that people are trying to pit them against each other. And I think that's what, how Jason took it. And he's kind of like, you know, and I don't think he knows, like, I think he's right. He doesn't know Perk very well. Perk doesn't come to games. Perk's in the studio, but Perk doesn't come to games, et cetera. So if you're, you know, Tatum, I think he was just like, damn, why why I got to be in it? Why just not, you know, uh, praise Jalen? And just leave me out of it. What's up with that? I, I understand that. Yeah, he. I, I thought. He, yeah, and before before I jump in here, I'm going to pass to Kwani because Kwani has been on this. Why are you pitting this brother against his other brother train for the longest <laughs> time? So when so when I when I saw the tweet, Kwani was literally the first you person knew. that came to mind because I could absolutely in my head envision Kwani in that damn eye roll when she saw that tweet. Absolutely. So, but my quick correction was that millennials are 81 to 96, just to clarify. But I do agree with Tatum. The fact that he even, like Gary said, went out of his way to respond to Perk's tweet. I do agree with him. I don't think that he necessarily has any beef. I think with Perk's role now, we've noticed he's become this over-the-top social media character. And it's not I'm not saying that it's not genuine, but he realizes, especially with the new platform that he's on, you do have to have, unfortunately, wild takes. And a lot of people in the sports world love when you pit people against each other because a lot of times they do feel as though there should only be one. I think with the Celtics team, we've all talked about this ad nauseum at this point, that there doesn't have to only be one. I think that these two can coexist. And I do appreciate that Tatum went out of his way to respond to it because it shows that one, they obviously have heard all of these trade rumors and the, the conversations about the fact that the Celtics can't do with both of them. But I think for him to address it kind of just says, Hey, I've seen everything you guys have been saying. I've been quiet until now, but the reality is that we can both be on this team 
they're not always going to have great games simultaneously. There are some nights where we see that they do, they both do well. And there are nights where only one does well, nights where none of them do well. And I think that's just the reality of basketball in general. And then at this point, hopefully that tweet will shut people up because I am tired of hearing the conversation about Jalen versus Jason. Well, it's not going to shut them up. Uh, because I know. <laughs> and, but the one thing about sports that, that we're finding in this social media age that we're in is that there's sports and there's a sport within the sport. And creating division, creating at least the, the illusion of division and divide among players is a sport in itself. And there's and the NBA, to me, is one of the most fertile grounds for that sport of divisiveness to thrive. And, and that's where you see a lot of tweets, you see a lot of memes, you see a lot of folks, you know, chiming in about, can they play together? Can they play together? The bottom line with those two is it's very easy to create that illusion when the team isn't as successful. Like when you go back, you look at those Celtics team when you had a Larry Bird, you had a Kevin McHale, you had a Cedric Maxwell. And the reason why, first of all, they didn't have the social media dynamic that we have, but even if they did, it wouldn't be that big a deal because they were winning. That's why you don't hear about can Draymond and, and Steph and Clay get along? Hell, nobody gives a damn about that because they're catching them, getting you with them doves every night. They're good. That's what happens when you win games. Anything and every potential controversy takes second, becomes, to me, it becomes a sideshow because the reality that people see then is a team that whether you think they can play well together or not, it doesn't matter. They're beating the snot out of everyone on the, on the schedule, on the docket. And that's the one thing that these two guys, when you look at where they joined forces initially and where they are now, they've regressed. Almost every year they've gone a little bit less further than a year before when it comes to the postseason. And in Boston, and we all know, we've been here long enough to know that winning at the highest level possible is something that, frankly, this fan base believes is their birthright. It's not. It's not, but that's how they feel. And when they see two young men who have gone so far, so early in their careers, year after year after year, take a step further back than they did the previous year, their initial assumption is that, well, they must not be able to play well together because otherwise they would just be winning. Never mind the fact that the characters and cast around them isn't quite what it used to be. Uh, the, the folks who are in those roles aren't quite to be candid, aren't as good as some of the previous teams when they had role players. Um, but again, that's a noise, another story for another day. The one thing I do like about this, though, is it shed light on, or at least it, it brought to the conversation, the Jason Jalen relationship. And as much as it was important for him to clap back on you know, what Perk said, it was just as important for him to address in a very meaningful way his relationship with Jalen Brown. And, and that was part of Gary Washburn's follow-up in that interview. And let, let's, take, let's take a listen to that right now. Jalen also said you and him talked after the New York loss and just kind of cleared everything out. Not to, you know, I don't know what you got to, to clear, but just kind of got some things straight. How was that conversation? It was good. Um, I mean, obviously, we live in a world where you know, we on our phones and on TV and, you know, we see all the things about we can't play together and, you know, everybody in the media is saying that, you know, one of us got to go and, you know, we just had to talk about, you know, we both want to be here and we both want to figure it out uh, because um, there's it's, it's not many players in a league, you know, like JB, you know, uh, the, the grass ain't always greener. And, We've had some great stretches, and you know I think just this year is 
hasn't been what we um, expected, but I think is I think in the long run it'd be good for us. You know, we got to figure some things out, but I think the most important thing is we both want uh, we both want it extremely bad, and um, we want to try to figure it out together. And so for us to just be on the same page, I think um, is extremely important because knowing that you know we got each other back and you know we're gonna. Give it all we got to try to figure this out, um, you know, regardless of, you know, what people may say. That, I, I, honestly, that that was like the most detailed he has been about his relationship with Jalen Brown since both of those guys really kind of elevated to the status they're in now. I, I thought that was that was great. Uh, Gary, I just, I'm curious, Gary, when you when you asked the question, you had no idea what the hell he was going to say. Um <laughs> But how did what you thought he would say match up to what he actually said? And, and just just in a broad sense, what were some of just your big takeaways from, from that? Because I had a few, but I'm curious what yours were. Well, I think it just confirmed what we had, what I've written and what, you know, what you said, um, and I've, I've known for you. Like, they're good. They're good. And they kind of trip on everybody tripping off them. You know, I don't. I think that they're, they're close. They understand – I think that's the key point here. They understand each other's importance to one each other and one the success of the franchise. They know Jason is not going to take the Celtics to promised land uh, championship without Jalen and vice versa. It's not going to happen. Like Jason is not you're not going to have a one man team. You're not going to be LeBron in 2016, or you're not going to do the the whole. Put me, you know, jump on my back, and I'm just gonna carry whatever dude is on my team, and we're gonna win it. Like you can maybe, like I think they they went to the Eastern Conference Finals a couple years with that kind of mentality, but they need each other, and I think they both realize that. They both understand our games are different. Jalen's a more physical player, uh, is a guy who has come from a probably farther in his game. He was a he was a when he came out of Cal was just like a dude who was a freakish athlete who didn't have a lot of refined skills. He didn't shoot the three well. He was just a get the ball, go to the basket, and dunk on you. That was Jay, that was Jalen's game. He has learned, improved his handle, although it can get better. Improved his handle. Definitely improved his outside shot. Developed a mid-range game. Become a better defender. Jason was more of a you know wine and cheese player, a smooth scorer. A George Gervin type, you know, a guy who could hit the his his game was very refined. Remember, as a rookie, he was just had that like, whoa, like, wow. He, he, at 19 years old, he's taking step backs and his footwork is good, and and so they come from different places. But you know, Jason has been the you know both of them have been the top prospect, the number top 10 list uh, after you know from the time they were 13, 14, 15 years old. But they've come from different roles, but I think they've learned to appreciate each other. They root for each other. Look what happened when Jason won his gold medal, came back to Vegas, put it on Jalen, put it on his neck, and was like, they were like, that doesn't happen. Like, it, it's, it annoys me this whole trade thing. You don't trade an all star unless one of the all stars is disgruntled. If he's like, I want out, ask Oklahoma City how they feel in hindsight about trading James Harden. Like at the Houston, ask them about that. And what they got in return, Tyler, uh, Jeremy Lamb, and Perry uh, Jones. Who well, I love, yeah. but like, wasn't ask, ask, ask Oklahoma City. Ask teams who traded all-star players 
because if the fit wasn't right, you make it work. You make it enough. Like like Smokey's mama said, make it enough. <laughs> make this work. Gary, you know damn well they don't know about Smokey. The games are too similar. No, I, I've just never heard this before. Well, their games are just too similar. But no, you make it work. You make the players, you, you build teams around them, and then you have them both and expand their skill sets so they can help each other. Become, that's what Ime, you can take shots at Ime all you want about this team and his job, but he has said, I need both of them cats to be better, both of them to be playmakers. That's how you have them play together. You don't say it about Harden and Durant. And kind of, well, they're just too similar. Like you make it work when you have all-star players in your team. All-star players are hard to get. When you have them, you make it work. And I just think Jason and Jalen are like, listen, we're gonna make this work. Everybody doesn't think we can. We got the haters out there, the people who think they should trade one of us. You know what? Hell no. Unless unless they want to trade us, we ain't asking. We're not. We, we're both pleased. We're making progress. And I think it was a key point that Jalen said, we're going through tough times, but eventually the tough times are going to be better. And if they are on that same page, I think that was one of the biggest developments for this organization in, in, in the last year and a half since all this upheaval was starting, is that the two cornerstone players are good with each other. That is hard to find in the NBA. Oh, such and such is Ben Simmons gonna have such and such a happy. This person is happy. Damian's ready. Dame's ready to get out of Fort. Like they're not ready to get out of nowhere. So t- don't take take that. Don't take that for granted. And you make it work. I may be getting ahead of myself, but in twenty years, when they make a documentary about the two of them, I think it's gonna be one of the most phenomenal things that we look back on because the adversity that they're dealing with now even if it's just fans and media I think that really is fueling them to want to be good together and you look at their win against the Pacers last night and the fact that they both were able to score in double digits rebounds and points wise and still play off of each other and still equally be successful so that's what makes Tatum's tweet stand out even more when you look back on it because it's like all right yes I did have a bad night but then we bounced back and both of us are able to be successful in a game where we really needed that win. So I'm excited for the future of the two of them, especially if they can stay together on a specific team, because I think that they do have the potential to be a really good NBA duo if they really are willing to just block out the noise and continue to grow on what they've already done so far. Well, I think what we're seeing right before our eyes is the evolution of two all-stars to becoming one great dynamic duo. Because when you think about where the season began for both of them, there are lots of questions about leadership, lots of questions about whether they can play together, lots of questions about can they play together with their teammates? They, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of Kymie Irving in them where it's all about them. It's all about them calling their number, getting their points, getting their stats. And what we saw, we saw Jay, we saw Jason kind of take the initial step in being more of a playmaker, a distributor. And then when, when he missed a, a, a game or two, we saw Jalen do a little bit more of that to the point where Jalen, the last couple of games, he's literally been their best playmaker. And now you're starting to see them be effective and efficient in the same game where they've figured out that balance between 
who should be more of the facilitator tonight versus the score. And at the end of the day, you, lo and behold, you're both in the mid-20s in terms of points scored. And one of you probably has more assists than the other, but that you know that that's not going to be the way it is most nights. They are, to Kwani's point, they are being galvanized by the haters. They are being galvanized by the critics who don't think that they can work and, and play well together. Because remember, when they first joined forces, we spent too much damn time trying to come up with damn nicknames for them. That doesn't happen. That does not. Oh, Kwani, you didn't have to roll the eyes. Yeah, out. it was bad, yeah. though. It was some of them were really bad. Shout out to Kyle right. Draper, who had some of the worst nicknames yes, for them. But that's have some of the know, worst nicknames. He had some bad ones. <laughs> But the point is, though, they were on board with that. They were talking about that stuff. And look, if you are not really feeling this young cat who's in your same age, who you know, who you know is on the come up just like you, if you had an issue with that, you would have dealt with that in that moment. You would have been like, he has to do what he has to do. I got to be me. We're good. Even though, obviously, you bringing that to the light means you're not. That wasn't the case. These two have been trying to roll in the same directions from the jump. And the only reason that it's an issue, the only reason that we're talking about it as much as we have is because this team has not been as successful as we've seen their early years together. And so that raises a lot of questions about the front office and whether are they, do they have the best talent around them? Now they've had some unfortunate and freakish things not go their way with, with guys like, you know, Gordon Hayward getting hurt, Kyrie and his, his mess, Al Horford unexpectedly leaving uh, because they wouldn't show Al the money bag that Al thought he was entitled to. And Al eventually got, no issue, no no shade at that. That's what you do. That's it's part of the game. But it meant that a lot of the comfortable pieces around them, the guys that they could count on, the guys that were very reliable in, in those moments, didn't exist. And so now all of a sudden they had to adjust to being the face of the franchise, the, the pillars, if you will, with a lot of pieces that they weren't necessarily familiar with. And if we're being honest and keeping it 100, weren't as good as some of the players that they they got it done with in the past. Now, with, with what Tatum has said and what Jalen has indicated on, on more than one occasion, to me, the onus is on Ime and Brad to figure out how to put the right championship caliber pieces around these guys. Uh, they have to be smarter with the draft. If you got a 22-year-old who can knock down three-point shots, you don't trade him for two future late or mid-second-round picks. Um, and if you're wondering what I'm talking about, Desmond Bain is what's coming to mind. Uh, I, I, I can't let that go. Yeah, we talk about him every week. I wish I could. I wish I could. But the more I watch him play in Memphis, the more it just absolutely makes my stomach curl thinking about how that dude could have been doing the damn thing mm -hmm. in Boston. Yeah. Um, but, Kwani, you had touched on the, the Indiana game and, and, and how, you know, that was – I mean, Tatum had like 24 and 12. Uh, Jalen had, I think, damn near triple-double, 26, 15, five dimes. Josh Richardson came off the bench, had a nice game. He only had nine points, but he had like seven in the fourth. Robert and, Williams and Rob time Lord balling. I mean, granted, you know, Sir uh, Sabonis had a good game for, for Indiana, obviously, but he, he didn't do much offensively. I think it was like three for 12 and Rob had a lot to do with that. Uh, so again, so many things came together for them, but I thought it was interesting down the stretch because they didn't have Marcus smart who had a thigh injury at the time and, and wasn't able to return. It seemed as though, and y'all and Gary, you checked me on this, but it felt as though, Jalen was kind of playing a little bit more alpha in the fourth quarter and overtime than we normally see. He usually, usually he feels like a a, a passenger that on the on the you know in the carpool 
as opposed to that Indiana game where it felt that he was kind of behind the wheel a little bit longer than he normally is down the stretch for this team. Oh, for sure. Um, both of Jalen took eight shots in the fourth quarter. He took one shot in the fourth quarter Thursday against New York. Now, Jalen was only, you know, he was two for eight. He missed some chippies. He had six points. Richardson was solid seven in the fourth, but he had uh, some two really questionable fouls. Uh, the three-pointer on Holiday uh, near the end of overtime, and then that crazy off-ball foul with the Pacers as a bonus that gave him the four-point lead that almost lost in the game. Um, but I thought that they were poised. Like, Indiana's a very good defensive team. You put, like, people, yeah, they're, they're not hardly what they – it's going to be a tough game on Wednesday. Um, but you put Brissett and Craig on the floor. Craig, I thought – changed the game. Uh, Torrey Craig, his defense on Tatum was, I thought, exceptional. And you, and then Miles Turner, I don't know why he didn't play more because they were afraid to take the ball to the basket after like six minutes of the game because Turner was blocking stuff and knocking stuff away. But I do think it was an encouraging game for the Sacks. They grit, grinded out a win. They came back in the fourth quarter with 40-something seconds left and down four points to tie it up. You know, Tatum gets a, a last second shot, 1.8 seconds left to send it into, like he did in New York. But unfortunately for the Celtics, the parrot hits the bench in the three. But I thought it was a positive experience. Not, you know, yeah, the competition, but there's a lot of teams this year with bad losses. As we talked about last week, Detroit went in and beat, beat Milwaukee and Milwaukee. Detroit comes back last night and beats Utah after falling behind by 20 points. Like, this is just one of those years that every team is going to have an ugly loss on their record or we should have won that game or how the hell did this team beat us. That's going to be a theme around the NBA. The Celtics have a bunch of those, right? But I thought it was encouraging that they were able to come back. I thought it was interesting that Emei didn't play Schroeder uh, in, in overtime. If you look at it was garbage for the first four quarters, G. Yeah. I mean, if you look at over the overtime box, Shooter did not play in overtime. He played Grant, who hit a three, a key three. Jalen went two for two. Tatum went one for two. And then he played Richardson and Robert Williams. So he, he had heard enough about why the hell do you have Smart and Shooter on the floor against New York. I'm not going to play either one of them. How that's right. Yeah, neither, <laughs> of them, neither of them. Um, Neither of them can shoot, and so it's more pressure on Jalen Jason. So he obviously is switching some things up. I thought it was a positive win, not for, oh, now they're going to win the championship. Let's not get, you know, like I think, you know, people, oh, you're very positive in your call. Like, you can only rip this team so much. They're freaking mediocre. Okay, that's what, what they are right now. They're a mediocre team trying to get out of the abyss. The Indiana game was a positive sign for them that they can win close games. And, and close out a game in yeah, a solid if you way. Look at the league. If you look at the league now, there's all type. Everybody, even the best teams, Golden State lost at home to San Antonio a couple weeks ago. Like every team has like a whoa, a head scratching loss. So that's just the way the league is this year. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, this is A-List Podcast. I'm your host, Ashra Blakely, Kwanee Lunas, Gary Washburn. And I wanted to just uh, first wish a happy new year from our sponsor, BetOnline.ag, as we continue our march towards the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up. Don't forget the CLNS50. That is the promo code. Uh, you will get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. They've got football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, right up to your favorite Vegas casino games. Brother love him some blackjack, so that's that's my thing. That's my thing. Uh, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers they have in 2022. Bet online is the fastest, easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game start. Kwani, I just wanted to uh, get you to chime in on, on just your, your thoughts on, on that as well before we move on. On Jalen Brown, it yeah. showing Morley. Yeah, I agree with that. And I will even go as far as to say, even because now we have to talk about both of them at the same time. Tatum, when he made that final shot, I, I don't know if it was the way I was watching the game, but it looked like he really took a step to slow down and be very intentional about the shot that he was making. And I know that usually in crunch time situations like that, you don't have time to really slow down the game, but it looked like he was finding found a way to do that. So between the two of them in that fourth quarter, I think one, it, sh- it should have ended ideally with the fourth quarter, but for them to end out that fourth quarter in a strong way and then go into overtime and really be even in more control and really just gas out the Pacers, that, I think that was a solid win. It obviously is just like a tally in the long season we've already watched so far, but mm-hmm. it was an impressive season um, game to watch, at least, I think, for them. It was. I mean, th- there's no question when you look and you start looking at the things that they did, money, they did a lot of good things. But the one question, and this has been out there in Celtics Nation for a while now, and it's it's becoming even more of, a, of, of something to think about. Because, Gary, as you alluded to, they are what their record says they are. I mean, they are a team that is a game below 500, uh, which means they could theoretically be a game above or a game below. You know, they're, they're in that middle of the pack record-wise zone and it raises the question about whether this t- whether winning is a good thing for these guys now because we, we it's it feels as though where they are now is like the worst place you can possibly be uh you're in the middle you don't suck enough to where you're going to have a shot at the top pick or a top five pick you're not quite good enough where you can just make a little tweak and next thing you know you're rolling with the big dogs so i, I guess it raises the question should they consider um they the official term is developing your talent, but we all we all tanking. We talk about tanking. Uh, let, let's let's we gonna keep it one hundred on here. It's called tanking. <laughs> Should they think about tanking at this point in the season? And, and I'm gonna start with you, Kwani, uh, this time. I, I don't think they should. I think winning is good for this team. Anytime they can get a win, I think you're getting another stepping stone of building the confidence of your core right now. That's looking like Jalen, Jason, Robert Williams needs those reps as well, and I think. I don't think taking does them any good at this point. Like you, these are players that this is a developmental year for players that we haven't been able to see over the last two years. And even like the Prayton Pritchards and the Neesmiths on the roster, like anytime they can get a rep in an NBA style paced game, then they need to do it. And I think winning is only going to help them. They're going to continue to lose. I think that's just not only shooting their confidence, but it just makes the team even more depressing to be on. And it, gives them nothing to even want to work towards, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Gary. Oh, hell no. You, you don't <laughs> you, what you do is 
you draft better. Okay, even if you have a mid or late first round pick. Okay. Let's look at let's look at the 2020 draft. 2020 was too soon. Let's look, 2020 draft. Okay. The leading score from that draft so far is the number one pick, Anthony Edwards. Number two is Lamelo Ball. Okay, he was a third pick. Okay. The third leading score from that draft is Cole Anthony, pick 15. Mm. The fourth leading score is Tyrese Halliburton, pick 12. The fifth score, Sadiq Bey, who the Celtics passed on, 19th pick, 13.3. He's a fifth leading score from that draft. And our friend, the one and only Desmond Bain, is the mm. sixth leading score from that draft at the 30th pick. Oh, and the eighth leading score, Emmanuel Quigley. Who was the 25th pick? The ninth leading scorer, Tyrese Maxey, who was the 21st pick. Okay, so what does that show you? That shows you that this draft with all these G League ignites and G League inignites and all these youngsters coming out. Starter packs. <laughs> yes, most of them ain't ready, is a crapshoot. Okay, it's a crapshoot. Okay, you do not know if most of the players you develop or draft is going to develop into a standout player. So that means your development staff and your draft evaluation have to be on point. The Celtics has not been over the last few years. That's where they slipped. The James Young, the Gershon, the Ante Zizics. Damn. I mean, we can just talk. I mean, I'm not going to call, you know, uh, you know, the Carson Edwards, you know, like, I'm not – the fact of the matter is there. that's what – you want to know why Brown and Tatum have the support? Because the Celtics have failed in the draft. They have, they have not drafted well. They've gotten guys. Grant Williams is the best one they've gotten from that who is a rotational player. Grant's probably never going to be a star, but Grant could be a solid 10- to 12-year rotational player. That's, that's what, what you, you want. want. That's yeah. what you want on the 22nd pick. But we're still – as uh, you know, Romeo, we don't really know. Romeo started to get DNPs again. Okay, yeah. Romeo at this point, but he wasn't physically ready to play in the NBA. I think we all know that. We don't know what to expect from Romeo Langford. Okay, Peyton Pritchard's taking a step back because he may decide he's not going to play him. The same with Neesmith. We don't know. But the fact is, is that if you look at the 2020 draft, okay, look at the assist. Most of the league scores from that draft were three guys of the nine scores, leading scores of that draft, four were taken 19 or later. So that means if you even draft where Golden State or Phoenix, you can come up with a damn good player. That's the way the draft is now. The question is, do you want to take an old guy? Bane was considered old because he was a senior. Oh, my God. I don't know why Ain't nobody checking no birth certificate when you don't walk on a damn court. Right. <laughs> How old are you, bro? Oh, man, you too old to play. You 22? Wait, wait, wait. What? what? <laughs> oh, come on, bro. Give us, give us, give us a senior league. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, ARP, doing? ARP ain't walking through that door. Yeah, like, what are <laughs> we good. doing? That's <laughs> like, that's the problem. Oh, well, he's, oh, he's a senior. Like, no. Just because a dude is 19 and a one and done does not make him a prospect. It just means he's he's coming out. He's taking a chance now. Will these players? Some of these players, like yeah, Lamelo worked worked out well. Like you know, we don't know about James Wiseman, but 
you know, some of these guys have come and done well. Others, you want to look at that, continue to look at that draft. Um, RJ Hampton. You hear anything from him? Remember Killian Hayes? Oh, Kyra Lewis Jr. Um, you know, we don't know. You just don't know. Like, literally, like, we don't know. And that's the thing. All these one and dones, it's a crapshoot. So if you want to build your team and build a team around Tatum and Brown, take the best available player, unless you just think this dude's going to be Kobe. Like, unless you just see the skill set. And that's hard to, to, to ask. It's a hard ask. That's a tough example. But the Celtics have to draft better. Don't tank. If they get a 23rd pick, they can come up with a good player. We've seen it. This draft is not – this ain't this ain't our this ain't our daddy's draft. This ain't our draft, Sherrod, where dudes who came out, if generally pretty much got – they were bust, always been bust in the draft. But now it's such a crapshoot. You got dudes that didn't play in college, that played in damn G League elite, or played in – or just went – just took a year off after high school and worked out, and now they're entering the draft. You just don't know. Look at Brandon Boston. Like, he fell to the second round. You think the Celtics would take him? Like, yes. I mean, somehow this dude fell to the second round. Like, I don't know why. I don't. I haven't talked to scouts in that situation. Be like, what? Ha- what was? What was the word on him? But it's easy to get talent in this league now if you know how to scout. And you sometimes look, guess. Remember, folks, who was the? 15th or who was the 15th overall pick in 2013? That would have been a guy by the name of Giannis Antetokounmpo. Oh, I know that guy. 15 teams passed on Giannis. 14 teams. And Gary. Including the Celtics. Celtics. Well, Gary, not only did they pass on Gary, they moved up and had a chance to jump. And Kelly's had a solid career. Kelly's been hurt lately. Kelly's not a bust. Let's not, you know. Put it away. Put yeah. that down there. He's not a bust. But 14 teams gave up, passed on Giannis. He's too skinny. You know, now, if the Celtics have a 6'10", 11 kid who could go, like, yeah, you take that dude. But the fact of the matter is, is that you can build your franchise through a intelligent moves, free agency. Let's be honest, guys. Look at the desperation from these teams, Lance Stevenson's hooping. Lance is back. Lance he really is. is. <laughs> like he never left. Like, like, like the NBA is desperate for freaking talent. Right. <laughs> chilling for two to three years. Mm-hmm. Like the NBA needs ballers. It's up to the scouts and these guys who go to Europe to find them because there's more and more players who can play. There's players in China and India and Lithuania and Yugoslavia, you know, that's not a country anymore, Serbia, Serbia. you know, yeah. literally, there's, damn, there's, there's going to be somebody come out of Antarctica sometime damn soon. Let it go. The Memphis pick, the Memphis pick, the Memphis pick. Like, remember how, how many years we heard about that? The best thing that came out was Tatum and Brown, move on, move forward. Absolutely, absolutely. And and the, the one thing that I – uh when I think about just all, all of all of what we're, we're talking about is just the importance, not just of, 
of drafting well, but actually having a blueprint for what you want to get out of the draft and sticking to it. Like when you're picking near the end of the first round or early stages of the second round, you're not, you should be looking for someone who can hit the ground running. Someone who is maybe not as skilled as someone in the top five, top 10, but there are certain things they do exceptionally well and you amplify that. And the reason why I sit, I tend to dwell more on Desmond Bain than I wish I could was because he had a body of work that said, I'm a three-point shooter. Worst case scenario that if you draft me, you've got a catch-and-shoot three-point sniper who's done it for four years and did it at a high level percentage-wise. That's literally the worst I'm going to be for you. And if you're picking at the end, not near the back, but at the damn end, it's like it's like a pickup game where you everyone is gone and there's just only one guy left, and that guy just happens to be a better. Sh- only thing he can do is knock down shots. You should be okay with that. You should rather than trade him in and get a couple of of, of you know of, of boxes of maybe sort of kind of this might work out down the road. But I'm not sure what the Celtics are looking for in the draft anymore. Uh, beyond the fact that they just want guys with upside. I think you need guys with a certain amount of proven body of work that's beyond more than one semester of college or one, you know, stint with the G League, Ignite, Reignite, Set of Flame, whatever the hell they're going to call it this week. They they don't – they need to figure out what their plan is, and, and, and they need to figure it out fast because, uh, like I said, they need to do, do – they need to make some changes. But the one thing that I will say about change is that – they can theoretically move the needle in that direction without really tanking and acquire some assets along the way. I look at what Josh Richardson is doing. I look at what Dennis Schroeder are doing for the Celtics, and they both have solid seasons. But if we're being 100, if you were to take one or both of them off the team, how much is that going to really cost this team in terms of wins and losses? If you can get a couple of decent assets, maybe not players, but maybe picks, maybe a decent young player down the road, you know, a Cam Reddish type guy uh, from Atlanta, perhaps. How much is that really going to hurt you in terms of wins and losses now? And how much does that help you in terms of potential down the road? I think they need to figure out where they're going to, where they stand on that. Because right now, as much as I love what Josh Richardson is doing, I think he's having a great season, especially shooting the ball. And I love for the most part what Schroeder brings to the table. I wouldn't be torn up if they decided to trade both of those guys and were able to get maybe a young player or two and get some picks or two, because I don't think it's going to have a major impact on winning. Because remember, even with those guys, you're 500. You're fi- you, you are in the worst place that you can be as an NBA team. You are far enough from the teams like Detroit at the, at the back end who are trying to get that number one pick, and you ain't nowhere close to Phoenix or Brooklyn or any of the teams at the top of the of the food chain. So you need to try to at least, one, gather as many assets as you can, and true, get a better sense of the ones that you have. Create opportunities where we can see a little more Aaron Neesman. We can see a little bit more Peyton Pritchard. So we can know whether these guys can ball or not, because we really don't know that. We've seen glimpses here and there, but if you're not sending them to the G League and if they're not playing in games here, what the hell are they doing other than collecting a check at this point? Um, We need to find out what those guys are truly worth. And I think they would like to find out what they're truly worth. We, you know, I I thought the Celtics, because they were so sporadic with like Carson Edwards minutes, we never really got a sense of what he could do. So it took them multiple years before they figured out, eh, little fella, this ain't going to work. This ain't working for us. 
I don't. We shouldn't be having this conversation in another year or two about wondering whether you know Neesmith can fit in with the Celtics or the NBA. We shouldn't be having this conversation in another year or two about whether Peyton Pritchard can play with the consistency that you would want in a, a rotational guard. Uh, those are things that the Celtics can actually address between now and the trade deadline uh, to again create opportunities for the assets that they have to see what they're truly worth and add a few assets in that process while still in terms of wins and losses, not being that all that far off from where they are on track to right now. So that's, that's, that, that's my thinking on that. But the one thing I will, and I, I want to get your take on this, Gary, let's assume that the Celtics decide to kind of shake things up, create minutes for for young fellas and all that good stuff. How do you think they're going to take that? Like, would they see that as, Oh, they're trying to tank. I don't know if this is a place I want to be, or do you think they'll just see that as kind of part of the process of, you know, just trying to get better, that maybe you got to take a step back to take two, three steps forward? Who, who the vet, how the veterans will react? How, how Tatum and Brown specifically. I don't give a damn about anyone oh, but Tatum and Brown. The rest, they're they going to fall in line, Gary. You know that. They're going to fall in line. Tatum and Brown are the ones we care about. I don't know how they would react to that. I think it's an interesting question. I mean, I personally have not seen enough from either to be like, okay, go, go. Get in the fourth quarter and see what you can do. You're going to lose a lot of games doing that. Like, Neesmith, I just think, remember, he came into the league considered a shooter, a premium plus shooter. We have not seen that yet. He's just been an energy guy, okay, who plays, you know, like a 100 miles an hour with his pants on fire. Like, that's good, but <clears throat> I have not seen the skill set of a guy who left school two years early and – in the, you know, after a pandemic season to think, I'm going to take all this skill set to the league because re- I'm ready and they're ready for me. I haven't seen that. Maybe it's me. I just haven't seen enough from me. And it's just you. They're playing in the SEC, you know, being a top, you know, one of the top scorer in the SEC to be like, damn, I see that dude really being a starter in this league. You know, I haven't seen it yet. I've seen a guy who plays real hard and kind of can get the crowd fired up and get a kick. So what are we looking for here? We want to we want to play Neesmith so he can, you know, die for more loose balls, like which is cool. But I haven't seen enough person to be like, man, I see a skill set. Romeo's different. I've seen shades from Romeo if he don't have, if he don't catch a cold or you know trip over his shoestrings or something and get hurt because he just always seems to have bad things happen to him to where I think he should play more. Okay, you say trip over shoestrings. Pritchard, Pritchard, I think, has the swag and the confidence, and I think he's a four-year guy to Oregon. I watched him years in the Pac-12. His shots just got to fall. If he's not – he ain't stopping nobody defensively, so if he's not hitting that three, like he's got to go that – and that's a high ceiling for him. He's got to kind of go to that Fred Van Vliet route, where Fred, he's such a premium shooter, like you, you got to keep him on the floor. Like Fred turned himself in from a from a non-drafted guy to Wichita State, all the way to like on the verge of maybe an All-Star team this year because he can damn shoot. He can shoot the ball. He can shoot from thirty. Like, and, and I know Pritchard's trying that. Is he years away from that? Yeah, but that's the trajectory I see for a Pritchard. You know, kind of being a combo guard who can shoot the hell out of the ball. 
So we'll see what happens when he gets back. He was starting to show that uh, when he came back, but he's had a real troubled season. But to me, I don't, besides Romeo, I don't see nobody that's like, oh, let's just let's pull Josh and Dennis back and give these cats in. I yeah. ain't seen that from Neesmith. Smith. I've, yeah. seen Neesmith, I've seen Neesmith get in a situation where he's had a big shot and he misses it. Man, this would be a big shot for the team. Yeah, made it. Yeah. Oh, you know, like this would, you know, continue this run. Aaron for three, clang. And it's like, Damn. well, Damn. a lot of guys can do that. Yeah. A lot of guys <laughs> in this. I can do that. Yeah. And not, nothing against them. I just have. I thought when he came out as a sophomore, like Gary Stackhouse, your guy, Sherrod, was like, oh no, friend of the pod. Yeah, can't miss. He's, don't worry about this kid. Woo, woo, woo. I haven't seen it. I yeah. Mean, I've seen a guy who's a, a good G League player, a 4A player, who is still trying to work himself to be a consistent NBA player. Yeah. That's, and, that's uh, who, and that's who you invested your mid-first-round pick on. And then Romeo, you invested a mid-first-round pick on him the year before. Yeah, well, the Romeo one, and Gary, and you were there, Romeo was a consolation prize. I mean, Tyler Hero was the guy they wanted. Uh, and Tyler went one pick before Romeo. Uh, so, I, I, Romeo, I can understand them taking him because, again, the they had a range of guys, and Romeo um, was someone that just fell to them. They, they, they He wasn't necessarily a target, but, you know, the, Neesmith was a guy they wanted. Uh, Neesmith was their guy. That was – they had – two or three other guys in that big wing position. Sadiq Bey, you mentioned before uh, uh, among them that he was, he was the chosen one. And, you know, it's, it's, as you pointed out, Gary, it's hit or miss with with a lot of that stuff. But the the thing about Neesmith that has been such a big disappointment for me is that he came into the league and he literally had one thing that they wanted him to do, make shots. That's literally if if Neesmith could trade in all that other high energy effort plays that he, that he makes and just suck at all those things, but damn it, he could come in and make shots. Take it every it day. And yeah. day. He would he and and the people say, well, you know what, you know, he's going to be a much better, more complete player if he does those other things. I go back to a guy by the name, and you're familiar with this, Kyle Corver. He yeah. spent about seven eight years in the league as simply a catch and shoot guy. Yeah. Could not do much more than that, was a defensive liability. And once he figured out how to do other things, which came like did a latter yeah. stage of his career, yeah. it didn't matter. He'd already been in the league doing one, that one thing, mm-hmm. that one thing that he was supposed to do. And that, for me, is why Neesmith has been such a disappointment. Um, I don't expect him to be an all-star. I expect you to do the one thing that got you drafted, bro. Make shots. Yeah. That's yeah. it. I don't care. I, I think it's great that he's figured out ways to help the team other than that when he's not making shots. But, bro, let's get back to why you're here. If I tell you to bring cups to the party and you come with, you know, napkins, those napkins are nice. But they, now they, we can't drink. Well, bro, what am I drinking out of? <laughs> what am I drinking? What, you going to pour it in my handful? I'll give you that one. I'll give you that. Enough. That was a good enough. You're going to pour it in my handful? No, I need the damn cup. Didn't we talk about this before you came to the party? You bringing cups, but you bringing napkins. Come on. Uh, Come on yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Okay, let's look at the – just for a quick note. If you, if you think the Celtics made a real mistake by taking Romeo, the guys taking after him, 
until you get to now the late first round, you're going to cringe. 28th was Jordan Poole and 29th was Keldon Johnson. Okay. So a lot of teams passed on those guys. And then Grant, so the Celtics could have taken either of those guys with Grant's pick. They passed on them twice. Uh, but, you know, Sekou Dumbuya, Chuma Okize, Guga, Bazazi, Luka Semantic, like a lot of guys who, who were busts. So Romeo isn't a bust yet. But to say, well, they they could have taken, yeah. If you want to say Matisse, yes. Stiebel, of course. Brandon Clark, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jordan Poole and Keldon Johnson. And if you want his problem set, problem along with him, um, Kevin Porter Jr. Mm. So yeah. we'll oh take the last pick of the first round. So, yes. Like, so it's not, you know, we're not, I'm not calling Romeo a bust because that's a tough, if you, there's some guys literally from the 18th draft that are out of the league already who are taking the first round. So Romeo is still something there. I do think he may need to play him more, see what he's got, because he, he, he's getting used to that swing man, three and D, run the baselines, cut to the basket, hit the three in the corner. That's what you want. Because, I mean, last night, Jalen and Jason were both tired. You may play them 40 minutes. Right. 40-something minutes. Both of them was tired. Like, you've got to have some relief. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I know he may try to win games. He hears all the – He took no chances. Did not yeah. take I, I can't be mad at you about I that. I can't blame him either. But I was like, why are they still here? <laughs> develop. Like, no, I can't – Trying to develop some wins. That's what I'm trying to do. situation with Aaron. I can't put him on the floor if he's going to miss open threes. Yeah, Romeo, I don't understand that. Romeo should have played last night. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I agree. Now, the, 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 you know, when we get to this time of year, and you, you both, you've been around this game long enough to know that it's, it's the silly season. Uh, we, we've been talking about Tatum and, and Jalen and all the, the, the nonsense about those two, but those aren't the only trade rumors out there. Uh, and our good friend Ben Simmons uh, is, is, is always in the news. And Philadelphia, you know, they, they obviously have to do something with that. And they're looking at all different options. And apparently there's another one that came out recently where Tobias Harris, uh, his name has been kind of thrown out as a possibility of being on the move, whether that's a separate deal, whether it's part of a three-player deal, whether it's, uh, you know, two for one or, or two for three or whatever. But Tobias Harris, I'm looking at the numbers, the money ones. I don't like them. I'm looking at the play this year. Don't like that either. What the hell is Daryl Morey thinking of, of that? That I mean, is he seriously thinking he can pull that type of, you know, uh, three-card Monty on the team and, and, and find a, a place for Tobias based upon his contract and the way he's playing? I mean, Gary, I'm going to throw it to you first, Gary. I mean, is that – I mean, how realistic is that? Well, I think it's hard because Tobias Harris is a very good player who just isn't quite an all-star. And NBA critics and NBA folks don't have – ain't trying to hear that. Like, they don't like players who are on the verge but don't get the C.J. McCollums, the Tobias Harris's. Like, NBA fans and NBA – they don't like those guys because they ain't all-stars, you know. And then those dudes get paid very well too. Like, that's the thing. Tobias signed that big extension, you know. So – I think what's hard, I like Tobias, 
but I've seen him too often check out of games or not be as engaged. And it's like, dude, you're six nine. If you go on the floor, I'm Kwani, you have when you got um, what's the group? The, uh, <laughs> With your crew, uh, the uh, all the time, the cheetah girls when you was on the floor, the cheetah girls, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll explain that one later, folks. That was good. <laughs> when you're on the floor and you see how big some of these people are, Tobias is a big dude, he's six yeah. nine, like he is not like six four. Okay, some of these guys are like, oh, he's a little short. No, Tobias is a sizable brother, okay, who should dominate more than he does because he has the, the build, the skill set. You just see him disappear at times, which separates him from being a very good player to an all-star. But when you're paid like an all-star and you sign a $180 million deal over five years, you're going to get judged like you are falling short. The Lamar Odom syndrome. You got all the skills, bruh. Where is the superstardom? So... I think that Tobias, in the right situation, not being the number one option, can be a very good pickup for a team. But if you're depending on him to carry the load at times, I don't know if that's going to happen. I like Tobias as a player. I've seen him too many times. Like When he gets going, Philly is so good. I've seen him kill himself at times. But then there's times in the playoffs, he built you know, two for 14, or he just it's in his head. And there's just some players in the league, professional sports, that we that don't always have that mental disposition to want to be great, or they don't have the confidence to do. Okay, they're not made up to be like, no, I'm the man. Like that's what you look at some of these athletes that we don't like, who think that they're always great, but that's what got them to be where they are. Tobias is a, a two, you would say like too nice of a guy. He's Boban's buddy, right? Like he's just you know, Tobias doesn't have any enemies. Tobias doesn't isn't saying, hey, get, don't do that. That's why people don't want Tatum to be that way. No, Tatum, get in dude's face. No, Tatum, don't let dude foul you and not say anything to him. No, dude, don't let dude undercut you, even if it's Kevin Durant. Hey, Kevin, don't do that, bro. I know we cool in the offseason. I know I was in your camp when I was 16. But no, dude, don't jump under me under a three. Like, no, don't do that, bro. Don't do that again. So for me, I mean, that's how I look at it. Kwani. Mm, mm. I don't even know. That that's a, a really good perspective. And I, I for on Daryl Morey's end, I really don't know why he thought just throwing in Tobias Harris is gonna automatically make people want to do that trade. So I, I don't I it just makes don't me want to go further away from what I'm trying to work. I'm like, damn, you want come on. It's not adding up to me. But then again, the Sixers organization has never really added up on the front office end. So, yeah. Well, they they just signed uh, through hardship. They just signed uh, through hardship uh, addition uh, Charlie Brown. And whenever you can add a Charlie Brown to your roster, it was yeah. Charlie Charlie Brown is a good. That's a good day. That's a good day. And, And hopefully, the Celtics will have some good days coming up here. The rest of their schedule. Uh, the next week or so, they, they're at Philly on Friday, so they'll see our good friend Tobias Harris up close yeah. and personal. Then they've got the Chicago Bulls, who are coming to Boston on Saturday. The one in the East, exactly. 
And then on Monday, they get the New Orleans Pelicans, who are going to be rolling into town. And that's a game that they definitely uh, should feel good about winning. Uh, and, and so the Celtics, they've got some very winnable games coming up on the, on the slate. They can move a little bit further past that 500 mark, potentially, with some of the opponents that they've got and, and things of that nature. So uh, closing us out, Corny, what you got coming up on NBC10? Well, if anyone happens to listen to this before Wednesday, then I'll be Wednesday morning at 1130. I'll be on the hub today on NBC 10 Boston. I told you all that I had an interview with Rachel Rollins, who is now officially the U.S. attorney for the District of Massachusetts. Did you, what, and, yeah, what, so I, you know, it was a confusing error because she wasn't the D.A. anymore. And, I, you know, but now I got Gary, it. <laughs> Gary, before you trip on Corny, I asked, I listened to it and Corny got it right. She nailed it. She, had it. she nailed her title. She nailed all that stuff. So, so Gary, so it was the so, day after Uncle she Gary, resigned. You feel okay that she did. She did the damn thing, Uncle Gary. She did it all right. What you do again? Hey, hey, girl. What you do again? What's your What's job? Your hiring? Your application? Your hiring? It was the day after she retired as the DA, so I had to mention all of her titles. But it was a, a really good interview, and we're gonna toss to it in the hub today. Yeah, it was it was good. I, I I did listen to it, and I listened to it because I wanted to see how if I got the title. Going? Is she gonna nail this title thing down, Pat? And she did. She did. So it was good. It was good. Gary, what you got coming, buddy? Uh, just more columns. Uh, this Celtics road trip, very interesting road trip. Wednesday at Indiana, if you're listening before then, and then Friday at Philly, then come back and get the Bulls on the back to back. So uh, column on uh, the NFL. Coaching search and this what we call Black Monday, including the, the firing of uh, Mr. Uh, Brian Flores. Yep. Yeah, we'll talk. Well, I'm gonna touch on that and my opinion <laughs> on on that. And I hate the term Black Friday because it, it turns black is not negative. I mean that's a Malcolm X stuff that he used to explain. Black is not negative. It's not black. It's I don't know because I don't see many black coaches getting fired because many black coaches in the NFL. So they don't they don't call it white Monday. They don't call it white Monday because a bunch of white coaches got fired. Like I don't, I, the whole Black Monday thing annoys me. I didn't verify this, but I did see someone mention that the term Black Friday, at least, was generally in like referring to when these stores needed to get in the black before they close out a quarter. But yeah. when it when you look at the NFL, that is not relevant not, at yeah, all. So that's black I agree. Yeah, yeah, it it doesn't add up. Like you know, like so. Watch, watch Malcolm X, kids. If you don't know that term, watch the movie with Denzel Washington. Or, or we didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Yeah, exactly. You'll learn a lot from that movie and a lot from Malcolm X, obviously. But um, yeah, that's it. Just more coverage of basketball. This crazy team. Um, we're approaching All Star in a month. Trade deadline, so it should be very interesting what the Celtics do over the next four weeks. And I'll have it all covered. There you go. Uh, and I'll have some, some content on fullcourtpress.bulletin.com. I, I recently did my uh, report card for the Celtics, and they sucked. Uh, the grades were bad. Uh, there's lots of Cs, lots of Ds, lots of Fs. Uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've never had a report card as bad as this one that I had for the players, and they, they deserved it. Uh, they were really, really not good uh, this, this first half of the season. Uh, for ebony.com, I've actually, uh, it's funny you should mention Black Monday because I, I too am writing about <laughs> Black Monday. Because the, the, the Brian Flores thing, now. yeah, the Brian Flores thing, it really threw a lot of us for a loop because it just didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, so I'm going to kind of unravel that a little bit and just try to 
try to make, make some sense out of the, the senseless. Uh, when you look at just and, and again, we'll, I'll, I'll get into that in the column. Uh, but you know, that those are the two biggie things I got uh, coming down the pipeline uh, coming up soon. And uh, gang, another good podcast. This was yeah, good. Um, much yes, uh, Gary, in the back. Thank you. <laughs> Blessings and farewell to Sydney Fortier. Um, and young people, people don't who do not have no idea who he is, which is kind of, I, I mean, just do your research. The dude was a trailblazer. But if you want to have some fun, you want to watch some funny movies, let's do it again. Piece of the action and uh, Uptown Saturday Night. He did a trio of movies with Bill Cosby. I know, like, it's Bill Cosby. Apologies, like, not a good person, but the movies were funny. It's Sydney in a more uh, approachable role, a fun role. And then if you want to serve with love, like, appreciate some of the greats that laid the groundwork for us. Um, Sydney was a, a trailblazer. Like, luckily, Sherrod and I are old enough to remember him and to remember some of his roles and how, like, smooth he was. And I think that we, we tend to forget these people and then they get older and they just fall out of your consciousness. Um, and he's someone that shouldn't fall out of consciousness. And young people should realize who he was, what kind of man he was, what time he was. So if you want to have some fun between Selfie Games and between the A-Lit podcast and uh, Bet Online, check out some of Sydney Poitier movies. To serve with love is a story. classic. His yeah. story is phenomenal. He was from the Bahamas. Someone taught him how to read when he tried to audition to be an actor. Like his story is just so yeah. inspirational overall. If you want to just read and deep dive into his life. Yeah. And I think someone was, is in the process of putting together some type of Broadway play, looking at his life, uh, uh, which, yeah. which is great. Cause to, to Kwani's point, I mean, there, there's so many different levels and layers of wow to, to his kind of elevation of where he finished mm -hmm. as an actor that it's, it's definitely worth doing your research and homework and, and seeing some of the works that he's done, but to serve with love—that's to me that—that's that's like the kind of almost iconic Sidney Poitier movie. Um, but he's some good. They call me Mr. Tibbs, or guess who's coming to dinner? Which is the first, yeah, uh, one of the first interracial movies that people mm -hmm. now that's normal, but back then. Um, that was that was, that was groundbreaking. That's what I heard. I was only like maybe I don't know a uh, mill. Yes. Yeah, we'll be before our time, but that was a, a movie that was definitely a groundbreaking movie with the content. So, you know, study your past, mm -hmm. you know, get to know these legends and let's appreciate them before they pass away. That's all. I, I love that. Yeah. Corny, close us out, Corny. Yes. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, write a review, send this to a friend. And of course, CLNS. We have to give them a shout out to betonline.ag. The promo code is CLNS50 if you want to use that sign up bonus. But for Aisharad Blakely and Gary Washburn, I'm Kwani A. Lunas. That was the A List podcast. We'll see you next week. Bitch.